Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello, listeners. Thanks so much for sitting down with me today as I chat with really what feels like an old friend and a neighbor, Shelby Humphreys, a Missoula local gal as well, and the owner and CEO of Missoula Social Media, a digital marketing company. Shelby is also a wordsmith and comes to us as an author and writer, blogger, and uh, also writes fairly regularly for Missoula Valley Lifestyle. So happy to have you with us, Shelby. Welcome. Thanks, Karen. What fun to sit down with you. I think we met back in, boy, early 2000s with Toastmasters. That's what I want to say when we were both mastering words. And (laughs) here we are now on the other side, both of us divorced and having stories to tell. And again, each story very unique. And it's helpful often to the listeners to just know a little bit more about who we're talking to, your background, and what the journey of not only your divorce, but your marriage leading up to that divorce. Can you take us back in time? How did you meet this first husband? Yeah, my first husband was John. He also was born in Missoula. We met at Big Sky High School. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Me and a group of girls, we all loved this boy because he's one of those boys that would hang around girls and every girl loved him. And uh, he was very pretty and cute. Uh-huh. <laughs> and of course, I made my play for him because I really liked him. And I found out that I think it was my senior year. Um, we never really dated. I just was really trying to track down this cute boy. Uh-huh. And... The senior year, someone pulled me aside and said, you know, you'll never date John unless you join his church. Okay. And I just went up and joined the church. (laughs) You were going to date John. If that's the path to this man's heart, then you're there. Yep. Yep. Wow. And lo and behold, um, I had a wonderful connection with what I call the big wow. Mm. Um, And I always cherish that even to this day. So it was two relationships that started then. It was my relationship with John and my relationship in this very tight community uh, here in Missoula. Yeah. And uh, how old were you then? Were you still in high school when that Was budding and you joined the church or was it post high school? Still in high school, spring of senior year. So young. Yeah, we were both really young. And then was that kind of one and done? You both began to date once you joined the church and into that young adult life? Yes, but it looked kind of different when you date in a church like that. Tell me more. Oh, there was the six inch rule. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and for those who are just joining us from another planet, that means you don't get closer than six inches to the cute boy. But, you know, we were 18 and in love, so we found ways. Right. Around that six inches. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're not going to cover that on the show today. <laughs> but, yeah, it was probably a four-year process, um, a lot of chaperoning, a lot of getting to know all of the leaders in the church. And... One final uh, approval from the pastor. Right. And that was really important to John because he was not only part of the church, he was what they call a PK, mm. pastor's kid. That's right. A right? different set of rules and expectations when you're a PK. Exactly. And his father was the assistant pastor. So, yeah, we okay. we uh, towed the line there 
as much as we could for about four years. And then we got married. And in that process, was there premarital counseling? Did the elder sit down with you and really talk about this contract you were about to enter into? What what led up to the preparation and the willingness to dive into marriage with this young man, being so young yourself? Boy, that is that really makes me think because there wasn't there must not have been anything official because I can't mm. remember anything specific. Yeah. Um, you know, people grow up maybe in the Catholic church or in a Jewish tradition, and there's all this stuff that leads up to maybe joining that faith. Mm-hmm. This was non-denominational. So it was more about social uh, interactions. The community yeah. was what was really, yep. yeah, and feeling connected there. I, you know, often here on the Good Divorce Show, we talk about the simplicity of getting married and the complexity of getting oh, divorced. Yes, yes. And that we all walk, myself included, a little blindly into what is very significant contract, um, not only with the person, but also in the life that we're building together. And then if there are children involved, and then in your case, also a contract with this church, the community and the God of understanding within that church. And now that you say that, I'm remembering, I never lived on my own. I went from living with mom and dad to living with John in his parents' basement. Oh, wow. As a young married couple. At 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, how long were you in the parents' basement before the two of you? Way too long. Too long. (laughs) However long it is, it's too long. (laughs) (laughs) I do not recommend. (laughs) Especially when you're building your own relationship. But nonetheless, you moved out onto your own. And were there children in this marriage? Our first year, yeah, we got pregnant and had our daughter, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Unexpected, but very, very grateful for that girl. Yes. Yeah. How old is Rachel now? 27. And we're going to hear more about Rachel and her journey in this. And so there you are bobbing along, newlyweds, young, new baby, right off the bat. And without going into the precious private parts of your story, Was there an arc to the marriage that you recall that was, this is amazing and wonderful to, oh, I'm not so sure to, uh uh-oh, we read alert. And what was the journey of time in that progression? You know, I think having a baby really sparked the difficulties that began. I think for anyone. Yeah, it was a stressful situation. Anyway, having a new baby yes. for mom and dad. Children put a lot of stress on a primary relationship, especially if you haven't had a lot of years before that child comes on board. You're still figuring out how to negotiate who takes out the garbage and how we support each other and who I am in this relationship. And then wham, you have this third creature who totally turns your life upside down. Yes, yes. And to be fair to John, he didn't have very good role models as parents, his parents. Mm-hmm. and nor did either of us have access to marriage counseling, even as a young, young family, even when we're like, oh, we don't need marriage counseling. We're just starting out. We just had a baby. Of course, it's hard. Uh, there wasn't even an option for outside marriage counseling. Um, and was that because of the church affiliation? Was. And they said, we, whatever you're struggling with, bring it here to us. This is where we do that work, not outside with other professionals. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very limiting. And there were several people in the church that 
had big hearts and saw our pain and really did try to help. Mm. But the the difficulties did not go away. Yeah. And it felt like this crucible that we were in. And I really feel for John, this is not a she versus he situation. Yes, not a blame. Right. You know, you walked it together. Mm-hmm. He's a preacher's kid. Neither of us have access to experienced marriage counselors. We have a new baby. We're young. It was just a crucible for two people to have a rough time of it yeah. and not to be able to really get out of it mm. very healthily. And how long then did you stay in that story with John and in that marriage? Six years and then two years separated mm-hmm. before the divorce was official. Right. Yeah. And I can only imagine that choosing to divorce is one thing. Choosing to divorce within that religious community set the framework for us. What what were you facing and what were the barriers? So imagine going to church three days a week, Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday, there for two to three hours each time, not a lot of social life outside of the people in the church. So my best friend was there, um, several best friends, girlfriends, yeah. uh, John's friends were there. His dad was the pastor. Everything was really deeply knitted together. So I knew that asking for a do- divorce meant leaving my community, which is maybe why it took so long for me to make that decision. Mm. And it, I might I might as well have moved to a different town, honestly. Really? Because I had my work and I had my church. Yeah. And those were my social connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you know it was a foregone truth that if you left the marriage you would be asked to leave the church, that it would be done? Was was divorce kind of put on that list of, so sorry, thank you for joining us, but you're no longer welcome? Yes, that's a very good way to put it. Wow. But also, let's think about John being a pastor's kid. Right. If he left with me, it meant actually leaving his family the way that dynamic was. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't do that. Yeah. And if I left... It meant me losing my community, but he could stay with his family. So either way, one of us was going to leave or lose something. Yes. And the fact that John and I came out of a divorce with our child, who was so grateful for both of us, to where we became friends, to where we could cross that religious divide for the sake of our child. I am so proud of John and I for doing that. It's extraordinary. I am so proud of us for that. These are the stories that we amplify here on The Good Divorce Show because some people don't even realize that that's an option, that it's a possibility. And we all, myself and our listeners, want to hear more about how you were able to overcome that and to find a a path um, that was really the path of Rachel your daughter. That's a good, great way to put it. It was yes. the path of Rachel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, when you were asking me, we were talking earlier about what we might discuss on the show here, and you were asking for advice that I might give other parents. And I never quite thought of it like this way until you asked me. But I think any parent knows what's best for the child. But that definition of what's best can be different. 
right. for each parent. Yes. Right. What really the piece of advice I would say is let's tweak that just a little bit. And let's say, what is kindest to the child? Because everyone recognizes kindness in whatever situation. And I think that's what John and I strive to do. Oh, I love this paradigm shift. Just would you mind repeating and sort of saying that again? It, you you shifted from the the idea of what's best for the child to what is most kind for our child. Mm-hmm. Does any example come to mind when you knew we were at odds, we weren't quite connected, we had to find that middle path? I knew you were going to ask this. <laughs> so I can't really think of something I did well. I can think of something I really regret. Would you be willing to share? Yes. And sometimes these mistakes or regrets actually are the best teachers. I agree. I have my own list. I'm like, (laughs) if I had a do-over, I would definitely do that over. And and I've gotten it wrong many times and I will continue because we're all just practicing, not perfecting, just messy, beautiful, wounded humans practicing. There it is. Yeah. There it is. So what would your do-over be? We had a co-parenting agreement where we would do this transition on Sunday mornings before church. It was my daughter, Rachel, uh, coming from my home and going to church to then continue with John. Correct. Okay. Okay. And there was one day, um, she was maybe six, not very old at all. And I still have it in my mind, you know, she's wearing a skirt, long hair, and just in tears. Mama, I don't want to go. Mama, mama, I don't want to go. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, this is the agreement we made. I have to stick to this agreement. We have to to do this. And I tried to explain to her, oh, honey, your your dad is expecting you. It's it's his time. Um, We need to make sure that that we honor that. And she just was in tears, Mm. this poor little girl. Yeah. And it's hard for them to understand the backstory of that moment. And they shouldn't be burdened with the backstory of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I wish I would have done? Of course, we didn't text back in those days very often, but um, <laughs> that's how old we are. <laughs> <laughs> I could have made a phone call. I could have figured this out um, and just said, hey, John, Rachel's not feeling good. Can we just meet you later this evening? Enough said. Yeah. Do you have a sense of how he would have responded to that? Because not every co-parent is receptive to a change of plans when it comes to their designated time. I think you would have been fine. Yeah. Again, he really cared for Rachel. And if he knew that she was really upset, he'd be okay with that. Because that was the kind decision thing to to make. But in the end, did you scooch your daughter off into church with tears? And and it's so my heart just still. Those moments. How old was she when you separated? She was six. Actually. Okay. So right around those early days of learning how we're going to do this in two families, you both had shared custody of her here in Missoula at that time in those early years. Mm -hmm. Well, when we come back from the break, we're going to hear more about the path of Rachel and her two parents, and as well as really diving into this dynamic when we have a devout religious influence in our life in and around our marriages and divorce that sometimes they have a really big voice and how these things happen and how we want to liberate um, ourselves in the best way possible. So please stay tuned as we talk with Shelby Humphreys today. We'll be right back. 
Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Relationships can be tricky. If you are looking for more from the relationships in your life, tune in to Kissing in a Tree with host Kelly Nichols. Kelly is a body positive sex and relationship coach, and she wants to share her knowledge to help you become a better partner and a better person. Kissing in a Tree, Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hey, thanks for staying with us this afternoon, talking with Shelby Humphreys from Missoula, Montana, media, digital media maven, as well as author and divorce survivor, remarried, daughter now 27, but was about six years old when you and your husband came out of your marriage. And not only out of your marriage, but out of a very tight-knit religious community, which captured so much of your identity from a very young age. So we just left off with the marriage beginning to unravel. And it's my understanding that John stayed with the church, but that you, were you not allowed or did you just decide we're not going to be in the same religious community anymore? What happened there? I had a lot of experience in the church with giving up parts of myself. It was almost transactional um, in order to continue staying in this community um, bit by bit, giving up myself. And there was a moment when I realized I just can't give up any more of myself, that if I move forward in this, I will lose who I am. Wow. And then I had an additional thought that if I stay, Rachel will grow up with a mom that is less than herself. And I did not want that model for my daughter. (laughs) So I began in my heart, distancing myself. And another relationship came along, which um, as painful and long and drawn out as it was, it was almost the only thing that would have actually got me out. Right. This catalyst. And, and I know, you know, however we frame other relationships, distractions, sometimes it's work, sometimes it's volunteer, sometimes it's our best friend, sometimes it's a new partner, but there's lots of ways that our attention gets tugged away from our primary relationship. 
And it's been said that if you're not tuggable, it won't be tugged. But if you are tuggable, <laughs> I don't think it's actually ever been said that, but I'm saying it today. You know, if the door is cracked open, you're inviting a distraction in. And um, we don't, when there's not permission to explore the marriage fully or go through discernment counseling or even have permission to consider divorce, we contort ourselves in lots of different ways to stay. And I think of those little contortion artists and I just think, don't do that. That's (laughs) terrible that you shouldn't be bending that way. And yet we do it all the time. And it sounds like you were really in a habit of contorting yourself, losing yourself, even you would say through the journey of the marriage and the divorce. Yes. And not only was it, I don't want to be this model for my daughter, but of course, having this other relationship meant that um, I somehow needed to be fixed Uh, or cured or just returned to where I was before. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the kindest way to put it. And it was suggested that I go move to another sister church in Oregon, but my daughter would stay here in Missoula with her dad. And who suggested that? The pastor. The church leader leader. was now making decisions after you had already separated. You had left the church. John, as a PK, was still in the church. Rachel was still going to church with dad. And then it was decided by someone outside of your family that now you should leave Mm -hmm. and leave your daughter behind. And I was like, hell no. (laughs) Capital H. Yes, you are not taking my daughter away from me. Oh, wow. And that is what really catalyzed me asking verbally for my divorce. Hmm. And then what changed as a result of that? Did that give you more legal standing and legal power in terms of custody? Did you feel like you would be supported by the law when you weren't supported by these church members who were wanting to make decisions for you? Wow. I never thought of it that way. I think we were both so ignorant. Yeah, You know, we were young, uh, really cloistered to begin with. Mm -hmm. So we just tried to find a divorce attorney who was Christian and get it done as cheaply as we can. And were you successful with that? We were. You had a $600 divorce. (laughs) Amen. That's all I can say to that. That sounds like a little miracle. And to our listeners, to remind them that you're not the first person on the show who's like, oh, I think we paid $300. We got the paper. We downloaded that off the internet. We People have this like monster vision of divorce and we have to go get lawyers and we have to lawyer up and there'll be other people making decisions for our children and for us. That is not the case. To the best of your ability, I always want people making their own decisions for their family. You're the expert of your children. You know what your child needs. Yes. She needs her mother and her father. And so you committed, you got your $600 divorce, and then the two of you stayed in the same town. And did Rachel move between homes? She did. We had a co-parenting plan. I think most remarkable among that is it was the first time in my life I actually lived on my own. Oh, say more about that. So here I was actually living on my own as, boy, how old would I have been? 25, 26, 29, 29, 29, never lived on my own before. And I get my own apartment. Oh, oh. 
<laughs> right? Right by the, the bike trail in Missoula, centrally located and not too far from Big Dipper Ice Cream. Nice. So, yeah. And at the same time, though, I have lost all my best friends, my girlfriends. Yeah. Pretty much my life is going from work to home and then doing stuff with Rachel. So it was this very weird growth time, contracting in some ways, expanding in others. Mm. Rachel remembers it as a wonderful time. Oh, yeah. Really? Before, um, before today, Rachel and I had a couple conversations about what I was going to talk about. And one thing she mentioned was, you know, I learned different things. When I was with dad, we would do dad things. And I would learn this about myself. And then when I was with mom, we do mom things. And I would learn this about myself. I was like, well, did you ever feel like a split personality? She's like, no, no, I just, I had different parts of myself, some from dad, some from you. Oh, that's so beautiful. And that says a lot about her parenting, that they weren't feuding the different parts of, of, because of course, even if we're under one roof, we have different parenting styles and we have things that irritate and annoy. And that's not going to change once you're in two homes. That's a perfect way to say it. That didn't change. Yeah. It doesn't change. And our children, just like when my kids go to my parents' home and they hang out with their grandparents, they have one kind of influence and it's different at their father's home and it's different at my home. And when we try to eclipse the other co-parent, I think that's the problem. When we try to say that's wrong or it's too different, but when we can really embrace really the diversity of style then our child, it sounds like Rachel, she just took the best from both of you. Yeah. We've got an amazing daughter. Oh, and she's a deep, deep thinker with a big heart. And she has nothing but positive to say about both um, growing up Mm -hmm. with a split parent and actually the latter part of her teenage years growing up with uh, blended families. Right. Because you both went on and repartnered. We did. We did. And so Rachel had what we like to call here at the Good Divorce Show bonus family members. There you go. Not the step, not the wicked, but (laughs) bonus people in our life who sometimes are these extraordinary, extraordinary value added, right? People who come along in our life and just add so much value in ways that we wouldn't have anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. And so you repartnered Mm -hmm. to Frank. Yep. And Frank brought children. Yes. And so Rachel, all of a sudden, she already knew Beth, but now she has this big sister Uh and they were, yeah, they were looking out for each other. It wasn't easy for either of them. Yeah. To come into each other's backs. And then were they swirling between different parents and Rachel? And were you on the same schedule? I think sometimes our listeners just like, how do you do it? Like literally not philosophically, like. Do you try to align the same schedule? Do you try to have blended siblings not in the house at the same time or at the same time? And sometimes you can't decide. So many possibilities. Right. right? I just, I think of all of that, I just think when we got together with Frank and I and the three kids all in the same and got to go do something fun, that was precious. Oh. You know, and it didn't happen every week, Mm -hmm. but we tried to when we could. Mm -hmm. Because like you just said, we had blended families on both sides. And three kids going here, there, and yonder, and uh, five years apart, and um, you know, in ages. Yeah. 
And so even today, our kids are all grown up and leaving the house. And we, when we can get them all together under the same roof, it's a special time. It's a special occasion. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> when our young adult children want to hang out with their parents. Yeah, yeah. that is yeah. glorious. Yeah. I want to go back to this idea of this living alone and new discovery, particularly coming from as you said, this cloistered experience inside your religious community, and then this time of rebirth, reinvention, and the duality of joy, here I am having this freedom, but then also the loneliness that can come when you're no longer parenting every day, and you're no longer in a partnership every Mm -hmm. day. Do you Mm -hmm. remember those moments? I do. And I remember one particular thing was on Sunday evenings. So I had spent um, a lot of time with Rachel. Now it's time for John to have her time. And I'm alone on Sunday evenings. Mm -hmm. I remember driving through town and looking at houses in their windows, the golden glow and imagining families together on a Sunday evening and just feeling this ache of loneliness. And, uh, knowing that I didn't have that for some reason, Sunday evenings were just tough. Yes. Transition days. Yeah. And I don't think that's unusual, which is why I really encourage the clients I work with have a plan for transition day that Mm -hmm. doesn't include you at home on the bathroom floor with a pint of ice cream and a box of tissue. And I've been there. Like make a plan if your kids are leaving or you're dropping them off that you have something else that you're going to, especially in those early years. I wish I would have. Right. And and for those of you listening right now, and you may be a family member, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker who knows someone who's going through divorce, show up for them. Show up. We don't always know how to ask for what we need. Sometimes we just don't even know what we need. But if Shelby were just diagnosed with cancer, if she had just lost a loved one, I am sure there would be a community who would begin to rally and there would be a casserole and there would be cards and there would be flowers and there would be a phone call and checking in. But somehow divorce comes with this shame beacon Mm, mm. and that just leads to the isolation. Mm. And I can't even imagine for you when it was also such an integral part of your religious community that you didn't just divorce John, you also divorced your friends in the church. And I'm guessing they also divorced you. Yes. I didn't hear from them again, which I'm sure my best friends missed me too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's no one is an enemy or a wrongdoer here. It's the dynamic Mm -hmm. and, and, and the, um, the expectations of how people were supposed to behave that were put on people. Right. Do you know what I mean? And so again, we can offer grace to those individuals who didn't show up, yeah. who didn't know how to show up or didn't even know that they could. That they could. Yeah. Um, and in this case, it may be that they would have also really been judged by the church if they had been showing up. That could be. Yeah. And we're trying to take divorce out of the shadows and out of the shame and honestly out of the courtroom as well that this is a family matter and families transition and transform, but they don't have to die, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. The marriage ended. Your relationship with John did not end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how was the arc of your journey? You leave the church, he stays, you start co-parenting, you have a new relationship in your life. 
Was it fast friends? Was it enemies? Was there civility? What was the nature of your post-divorce relationship with your co-parent initially? And how did that change over time? I think civil, like you mentioned, was Mm -hmm. the best word there to describe it. Neither of us wanted it hard on Rachel. And so we decided even if we had to each sacrifice something for ourselves, maybe we would prefer to do something different. Uh, But we'd go ahead and sacrifice that because we knew that doing something different for the sake of Rachel was better. We both wanted that. Yeah. We both wanted that. And it was a lot easier to make it civil that way. Mm -hmm. And also just because of the legalistic aspect of such a tight religious background, I think we were young. We didn't know any better. We just followed the rules of the co-parenting plan. (laughs) And there's a certain kind of bliss in that. There was. Yes. (laughs) This word sacrifice, I think is so important. And I want everyone who's listening to just recognize There will be financial sacrifices moving from a two income household to a single income household, or even if you were only a single income, like there's just shifts in quality of of life and standard of life sometimes. But then there's also these little micro sacrifices. Mm. I want to pick my child up at noon for Mm -hmm. this reason. And, oh, they're asking for an extension because grandma's in town just today. And there are people who will stand on principle and say, no, hard line, noon extraction. And like you said, that's not kind to your child. They're in a moment with grandma. They they don't get to see very often. Like that would be a really specific event of like, I can sacrifice another three years. I'm going to make the sacrifice today, not three years, three hours for them to enjoy the rest of their day with grandma before she leaves town, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Knowing that that kind of sacrifice, and sometimes you're the first who has to do it and to model and demonstrate so that your co-parent then sees, oh, This is what we all benefit from when we're flexible Mm -hmm. towards each other. Mm -hmm. And John and I each had our biggest sacrifice. I'll call it that. Hard for each of us. One was he decided to move to Portland. He was remarried, had a cute little daughter, and his wife lived, was from Portland. So they decided to move closer to her family. And Rachel stayed with us. For a while. And how old was Rachel at that time? I want to say she was um, between eight and 12. And what was that conversation like between you and John and him making that choice to leave and that Rachel would stay? Was it ever thought that she would go or that you all would move or like, I can't imagine. I think this is a really big dilemma when life circumstances, whether it's a new relationship or going to move to care for an aging parent, it might even be a job opportunity, but when you can no longer be in the same community as co-parents because of extenuating circumstances, Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine navigating that. Yeah. And I want to say, we just talked to Rachel a lot about it Oh, and we found out where she wanted to stay. You know, she's only eight years old, which seems really, really young to ask an eight-year-old to but I don't think she felt like she was choosing between mom and dad. That's important. Mom and dad were saying, what do you want? This is our circumstances. This is what we need to do. How do you want it to look? Mm-hmm. And so we talked about summers. We talked about vacations. We made sure that um, her and dad had a lot of time together as Even, much as possible. And she stayed and was a permanent resident here in Missoula with you for, for how many years? 
Is it four years? You're really challenging. Yeah, the memory. I know for like eight to age 12 or 13 or. Yeah. I only know that at about 12 and a half, I had to make my hard choice. And that was Rachel wanted to go down and live with dad. And being the fun mom, I wanted to make an event and uh, I got us train tickets to go from Whitefish to Portland and we were going to have a little train ride down and, and I was going to drive back up and, you know, kind of just ferrying her off as positive as I could while still having this really concentrated, nice memory mm-hmm. of Rachel. And the day came to leave and I, I broke down. I couldn't do it. Oh, I couldn't do it. And so my family uh, drove Rach and I to Spokane and Rach got an, on an airplane. And when you sent her off to Portland, to, oh, I can't imagine. Oh, that broke my heart, but it's what she wanted. And I saw it work for, in my favor for several years, you know, her right. living with me. Mm-hmm. And so now she wanted to live with dad and And that was a sacrifice you made. You both, like you said, made the ultimate sacrifices for your child. Mm -hmm. Well, when we come back from the break, we're going to continue the path of Rachel as she goes on to Portland to live some time of her adolescent life with her dad, mother, author, (laughs) media maven, Shelby Humphreys chatting with us today and sharing the very personal part of her story so that we can all find our way to a good divorce. Stay tuned. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us as we unfold what we're calling today the path of Rachel. 
And that is Shelby Humphreys, now adult daughter of divorce. Thank you again for coming on and sharing your story with us, Shelby. You bet. Not only is Shelby a, a great warrior mom and survivor of divorce, but she is also a digital marketing maven and has a local company called Missoula Social Media. Check her out and also is a contributing author to Missoula Valley Lifestyle Magazine. So we're glad to have your words with us today. So you were just sharing with us before the break that there was this really significant shift and Rachel had decided of her own reasons, complicated young adult. Well, at this point she was maybe 12 or 13 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And came to the family and, and through the support of others in conversation and said, Rachel wants to relocate to Portland. Yeah. And after living with you primarily for four years about Mm -hmm. you had to face this new truth, talk about the sacrifice, the parental sacrifice and not even being able to then get on the train with her and send her off to Portland. Right. Right. I do all of this talk about what's kind for the child and all that, but it doesn't really hit until the child says they want to move in with the other parent. right? Right. And I being a mom, I wanted a good memory, uh, wanted to honor her. I wanted to honor Rachel's request. It was not the send off I wanted. Mm-hmm. It was really hard for me even to say goodbye, but it's what she wanted. Yeah. And I, I got to spend time with her too, visiting and sure. Did, the, was it visits. reciprocal sort of the grace that you had given John in those former years of summers and holidays and, and again, really sharing a part of your heart. That's what we're talking about. Parents yeah. 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 is we're sharing our heart and no one's heart is bigger for our kids than their co-parent. Yeah. The yeah. other parent. So really stepping up and seeing that. So were you able then to have summers and holidays and was John just as gracious with that sharing of his heart called Rachel. He really was. Mm -hmm. Um, Twilight, the movie was huge. And of course, Rachel loved it. And we went on a little whirlwind tour. We drove up to Washington from Portland and got to see that town where Twilight supposedly happened. (laughs) Oh, oh, there's vampires there. (laughs) No doubt. Yeah. So here's this. um, She's probably 13 or 14 at that time. And that was a fun, special memory. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that. And also she tells me now stories about how her and her dad would go running together um play video games together again it was that rachel version of when she was with her dad it really got to bloom and um she has really good memories and she needed that time with her dad and she needed a different fresh start in a different town yeah and as parents you both saw that you found a way to say yes and then the story had another twist And when you look back at the decision to send Rachel to Portland, is there any part of you that regrets that or wish it would have been different? Absolutely not. We could not have predicted that John would pass away a year and a half later. Oh my God. After she moved. He had a congenital heart defect, heart defect. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's like when athletes are on the field and they just drop, their heart just stops. And so they would have, doctors would have had been looking for it in order to know. Which they hadn't, they a had young, no, healthy. No to, right. No. And Rachel found him that morning. She's the one that found him passed away. What a hard thing. Oh my her. goodness. We don't wish that 
for anyone, let alone child, parent, death moment. I cannot imagine. Just a heartbreak. And she had 18 months in Portland with him before he passed away. Yeah. 18. I bet those months are like little golden treasures to that child. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because at the same time, I could tell from my little laptop in Missoula, Montana, I would get emails from John that would say, I really hope you're doing well. And I could see that he was doing well. Yeah. Because we were able to move beyond civil and begin forming that friendship again. And I still, I still kind of tear up at that, that just when we were starting to become friends again, that he went mm-hmm. and what, what could have been, yes. what could be now. And he had remarried. He had another he young daughter at the time of his death. Yeah. Two or three years old. I'm married 19 years now with, with my husband. So it doesn't mean that, you know, anything would have been undone relationship wise. Right. Just, it just meant we would have reconnected with that original friendship and that finding that kindness. I'm thinking about the halls of big sky high school there is a love story. Yeah. There was a reason that you were attracted to each other, that you found this path, that you became co-parents. And again, we don't have to throw all the good stuff out just when the marriage ends. Yeah. And that the two of you were able to reinvent your relationship, right? That's what we talk about, the sort of renovation of the relationship and starting to find that softness, like just that soft heart towards each other. Perfect way to say it, Karen, that softness. Yes. Yeah. So what happened in kind of the aftershock of John's passing? You have a spouse, he has a spouse, there's children involved. Rachel's just moved to Portland. What decisions needed to be made? What decisions were made? What the first uh, no decisions were made, I went down and got there as fast as I could. And it was all about Rachel. You know, this poor girl just found her father. And how are we going to help her Mm. and support her? The odd thing about it is John had moved with his wife, Rachel and his daughter to Portland. And there was another church there. So going back into plunging into this church environment. Same sort of culture, cloister, close that you had kind of escaped from here in Missoula. You now had to go face with the new wife and all of that community. Oh, it sounds very awkward, very stressful and difficult. They made it as easy as possible. And I really appreciate folks in the church. And honestly, um, John's wife was kind of heading out of the picture And, you know, for whatever reason. And so we were all able to really focus on Rachel and they were gracious to me. Uh, They let me stay in their homes and there was no weirdness. Because now you're a part of grieving your ex-husband, but still the father of your daughter. Mm -hmm. Very sudden, right? We forget that these, if you have entangled your DNA, you have a forever relationship Mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. So what do you want it to look like? And what would it have been if the softness of heart could have come sooner? And we really look at what prevents us from just getting there. Because I do believe time is an extraordinary elixir and healer. But sometimes we should, of our own accord, push the gas pedal a little bit on that time and just Mm. get to the good stuff sooner. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's all easy for me to say um, all these good things about kindness and 
and and considering Rachel, but you know, Sunday evenings, I've just passed her off to John and I'm living in Missoula and he, at this time he was still in Missoula and I'm driving around town looking at all these glowy lights through the windows of all these homes in town and just thinking there's families in there having their Sunday evening and I'm alone. Yeah. And I'm lonely and it's horrible. And why did this happen? Yes. And all of this stuff. And, but then I remember Rachel had a year and a half with her dad Mm -hmm. before he left. Yeah. So all of this yucky, unpredictable, grateful, it's just a mishmash, isn't it? It is a mishmash. Yeah. I I usually tell my clients you're the, the emotional journey you're about to go through is not linear for sure. Not predictable, always going to take longer than you want it to, or think it should. And it's going to feel like a ping pong in a shoebox. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're all over the place and it's pretty unpredictable. And so once you get through the grieving process and kind of the logistics of John's uh, wife at the time, sort of moving on with their shared daughter, but here's Rachel in Portland Did she have a sense of what she needed and wanted? Yes, she was very clear about it. And she wanted to stay because she had formed some wonderful relationships with her high school buddies. Oh, gosh. And now she's in high school. So the last thing she wants is to be moved around again. Yeah, that's yes, exactly. (sighs) Yeah. So we're like, okay, how are we going to make this happen? Because here I am also needing to take care of myself. I am not going to move to Portland because she will be graduating from high school in several years. And I don't want to upend my whole life and family for a short period of time. Yeah. Uh, Rachel wants to stay. How are we going to do this? She did not want to stay in the church. You know, she's in high school. She is exploring her own individuality. She wanted to actually make that move away from the church. And now that her dad was gone, it was easier to do that. She had permission. She had some permission freedom. and some freedom. And well, this wonderful thing happened. This family from her high school stepped up and said, we will house Rachel through the end of high school. Oh, beautiful. oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And they were just the neatest family in Portland. She has yeah. all these bonus family members that <laughs> come into her life. Yeah. I doubt she would have chosen this path, but yes. it seems to have in the end kind of worked out. Yes. And in that family, she had a, another older sister all mm-hmm. of a sudden and who was really great to her. Um, some really healthy, healthy couple. Um, and then did yeah. you continue sort of that same routine, even if John had still been alive in Portland of coming back to Montana for summers, seeing each other on breaks, Christmas, you going to Portland for special events, I would presume. Yep. Tried whatever would work out. Yeah. And we recognize that that's a privilege and a luxury that not all families Uh, have just having a car that can drive across straight lines or to buy a plane ticket. So blessings indeed that you could still be part of your child's health or that you could still be part of your child's high school experience. And the journey continues. Mm -hmm. And the path of Rachel once again changed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rachel joined the army. This uh, Missoula born peace loving tree hugging. (laughs) She decided she needed, well, who knows? We won't speak on behalf of Rachel. 
but something about that said yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she found stability and consistency and a different kind of community and a different kind of cloister, right? The army has its own own rules. Its own rules and whatnot. Yeah. But she she grew up as all 18-year-olds need to do, leaving the home and defining who they might be. And that was uh, her entry into that. And we supported her as much as we could in that too. So- um, and thanks to her and to all of our listeners who have chosen the armed forces in representing our country in the time that you serve, the time that you invest. And then Rachel's path ultimately came back home to you. Yay. <laughs> and you didn't tie her up and throw her in the trunk of the car and say, back to Montana, young lady. Right? The long journey. Do you recall the moments where she was in her decision-making and what brought her back to Montana? I am skipping a little bit because she did go to UM for a little bit. Okay. But she didn't really- Which is the University of Montana. That's our at-home school where Shelby and I are speaking today. Mm -hmm. And no particular subject really got her passion. And so she made this very wise decision to say, you know what? I'm not going to go into debt anymore until- I have a definitive idea of what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and then the army came up and she went. So yeah, uh, gra- not graduated, but came back from her tour there and has now living in town next. Well, not next to me. That'd be a little too close. For her. <laughs> but yeah, we're in Missoula together. She has her place and I have a daughter who wants to spend time with me lives locally. And I'm just so, so grateful for that circumstance. Glorious. Yeah. And that young budding relationship kind of in the, in the aftermath of your divorce with Frank, your now husband that persevered and continued in 19 years as stepmom, wife, mother, you kind of ended up checking all the boxes, Shelby. Oh boy. Wow. Now I'm 50. What's going to (laughs) happen? Well, but careful what you ask for more twists and turns in your story. I am curious because the religious journey and the the church community was so important and so integral in your life. And, and you, you did reinvent and and find yourself and find a new community. Um, But where does religion stand for you now in this life? And and how did you continue to process that in your own self-discovery? Yeah. So When I left the church, I couldn't just like all of a sudden say, oh, I'm an atheist. Screw you all. You screwed me over. I'm divorcing. Bye bye. Mm -hmm. Um, My relationship with that special thing that's bigger than me was too precious, Mm. you know, but I needed a way to be me and have that as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So I actually did go to other churches for about two years. I look at it now like weaning myself off. Sure. But keeping that wonderful connection to something I, I like to call the big wow, because it's it's bigger than me. And when I see it in people's lives, it makes me just go, wow, this is awesome. Right? That's great. The so big wow. That's my label mm-hmm. that I've chosen. Um, but now that, that vertical, I look at it like a, a fabric. There's the warp that goes up and down. Mm-hmm. And then there's the woof that goes across and that's how a fabric is knitted. And I feel like in my relationship now, I'm in that wolf where I see that big well in other people. 
And so I get to find out what is important for this person about the big wow. What what does this other person appreciate? All these different relationships. I feel like I'm a kid in a candy store because I get to like almost taste the different ways that people have chosen to have that connection. Oh, that's a beautiful transformation. It really feels authentic, but at the same time, not needing to just clutch on to something that, um, well, gosh, I mean, I lost it all already. Right. So what is more was there to lose after what I went through? Right. So now I get to rebuild and Mm -hmm. I get to rebuild. Mm -hmm. And as a writer, did you find that the words and reflection was part of your journey to explore that new transformation and and how the big wow came to live in your heart again? Mm. So I really needed to just sit down and write about the whole start to finish the whole big story. Yeah. My goodness. That's how I process. That's what I did. And uh, I can remember being at Bernice's once a week, just going and sitting down, having a coffee and, and a Parker house roll or whatever it is and, and writing my story. And it ended up being a book that I shared with our children. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's, I, of course I have to come up with a punchy title. Yes. Give us the title. (laughs) It's called church picnic. How God saved me from my religion. So that is, that's what it really feels like. Yes. Yes. You know, um, Will this story, do you think, be shared in the future with our listeners and others who are finding and navigating their own complex relationship with their religion and their big wow? If there's a time for it to come out, um, I'll be looking for it. But I'm not really pushing it. Several of the key players have passed away, mm-hmm. not just John. Uh, other folks have. The pastor mm-hmm. that we that we mentioned has. Mm-hmm. Um but just out of respect for some other key players, I don't really want to just throw it out there and really out of respect for our children too. So if there is a time for it to, to go public, then, then there will be some discussions and some communication and um, it will only be if everyone feels really good about it. Yeah. That sounds well thought out, guided by wisdom and well-placed in your journey, but at least it got, out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And actually, I got to learn more about Frank's journey to the church while I was writing it. Oh, so that was fun to get to know some of his connection and his relationship. Your current husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And explore that together. Mm-hmm. Well, it has been just a delight today. We've been chatting with Shelby Humphreys, uh, owner of Missoula Social Media providing digital marketing services to small and large businesses, also a writer and contributor for Missoula Valley Lifestyle Magazine and wise woman. So grateful. Anything else you would say to our listeners in closing that you would just want them to hold on to as they move through their own story? Yeah. So it's been over 20 years since this started and even a little bit more, if you count when the struggle in our marriage really started. It's a lot easier right now to look back, you know, and I'm sure you've encountered this over and over, Karen. And um, it's a lot easier to remember without so much pain, uh, to remember without needing to justify hard things and to even hold those regrets. Um, It's just a lot easier. Yes. So I hope that for all of your listeners. 
however long it takes. It takes as long as it takes, and it's nobody's business (laughs) but yours. Well put. And as I remind our listeners every week, remember, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.